Welcome to the Football by Football podcast. Let's do it. And here we go again. Wonderful to be back with y'all here on the Real Thing Patriots podcast on the channel. Your host and ready to dive into this thing as we do week after week. This one being a little different week because uh, we're going to wrap a game. Obviously, the big Broncos win for the Patriots out there in Mile High. Uh, but also a little unusual week of practice to talk about where these guys are out out in Colorado Springs uh, working out in the mountains there up at elevation in preparation to head down to Mexico uh, to face uh, the Raiders. So this is a weird week, uh, kind of a, uh, I don't know, band camp for football or something where they go away on a little trip, a little vacation to get ready for a, a pretty tough road stretch here that the uh, that the Patriots have. So let's first go back to the beginning, uh, which we always do, and, and review the game. After that, we'll dive into some Twitter questions that y'all had. I put it out to you this week as a way to uh, cover a, a variety of topics because I knew, and sort of here's the kicker, a little unusual this week relative to the rest of the weeks we've had this season. We we do not have a guest from the Raiders, uh, obviously 32 teams in the NFL. Um, I, I do have a pretty solid network out there, former players I know and, and guys on teams sprinkled around the league, and uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I struck out on Oakland. I couldn't find a guy that I had a connection with, and they don't have, at least to my knowledge, a guy that's sort of comparable former player, in-house guy doing their stuff. Jim Plunkett does some stuff uh, for them with like video series and stuff for the Raiders.com, but uh didn't have a connection there and could not come up with another more relatively current dude that I might have crossed paths with. So we struck out on that. So we're going to uh, turn our focus more to what you guys care about this week and uh, you know rely upon me, I guess, <laughs> for for the for the breadth of the uh, of the preview of the Raiders. We got a lot of good stuff on them, plenty of stuff on film to touch on. So as I mentioned, let's first dive into uh, the win out there, the House of Horrors. I think that's uh, no, not horrors, horrors. I have a hard time with that one. That's it. Iowa, South Dakota, the long old th- oh thing, I guess, uh, in my uh, in my accent. So, anyway, moving here into Denver. So, obviously, it's a place that the Patriots have had sort of up and down performances. They did win there a year ago, sixteen uh, three. They win here big this time. Whatever the heck the score was, forty one something, forty one sixteen seventeen, whatever it was, but controlled the game throughout. Um, you know, obviously, if you're you're a fan there. Worried about where the way the way that game was going to go, it went your way. Uh, there was never really a moment where this thing felt in doubt, uh, and that's a great feeling. It wasn't sort of an apprehension field game out there in the mountains. So that's always a good thing. And and why did that happen? Why why had things changed so dramatically uh, versus maybe a few years ago? Uh, we'll dive into that now. So I mean, first and foremost, uh, you know we. You, you, you obviously understand my personal biases, or at least my history, anyhow, as far as a, a special teams player uh, and linebacker that you know basically played fill-in role linebacker. So I would be a guy that would get up for a game, play my 25-ish, you know, maybe anywhere between 20 to 30 snaps a game in special teams, just depending on how the game went, and then my somewhere to between 10 and maybe 20 uh, plays of defense. So that was my role week in, week out. So I kind of a soft spot, or at least a little better understanding of the perspective of guys that have to do that particular role on the team uh in weeks like this where the special team becomes such a dominant feature of the result 
obviously it gets me a little all juicy. And I love to talk about weeks like this where you can so positively impact sort of the outcome of the game early, really, with field position swings and, and possession swings that it makes life so much easier on the other two units. And, and you love that, especially because as a special team player, as I mentioned, it's not like you, you exist as a one of the three uh, you know, units. You still are a member of the defense, or in the case of my old teammates like Patrick Pass, still a member of the offense. He's still going to take reps over there. Uh, there are the rare occasions, the rare, the rare guys, excuse me, on the offense or defense special teams these days that have an only role. Like Brandon King, I don't know if I've ever ever seen him take a, a defensive rep, uh, at least not a ton anyway. And Nate Ebner, pretty rare that he gets out there on defense. So there's a couple guys like that. But uh, Brandon Bolden used to be a guy that was was more up and down, would play play offense and then uh, obviously play all special teams as well. But this year is a little different because they have the other four backs in the roster. But by and large, uh, there are more guys on those special teams units that are doing everything, uh, their, their side of the ball plus special teams, than just the core onlys. The core onlys basically are probably your Slater, uh, your King, and Ebner. Uh, but there's a lot of other guys out there doing a lot that just don't get the shine or don't get the notice because uh, we don't watch that part. But um, when those three units have such a huge day, obviously, as I mentioned before, I love it. So let's dive into this and sort of show you, talk about, excuse me, a little bit of, of what, what what this stuff matters and, and how it came back. This is the rarest of rare games where you had three major swings in, 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 the, in the kicking game. Uh, the punt being the first one, obviously, the muff, muff punt goes on early on there, and uh, Ryan Allen hangs up a nice ball. It's kind of what he's known to do. Puts it up nice and high and kicks it to the singled side. And what that means is, uh, you know, we always know what gunners are, right? Well, I think I've, I've used that term uh, pretty, rel- pretty, pretty frequently here on the show over the years. Um, your gunners are your guys that are sp- spread out and look like wide receivers on your punt coverage team. Matthew Slater, best in the business at that for as long as he's been playing. So Matthew Slater's extended. Jonathan Jones, the other one, cornerback that plays a ton of snaps at cornerback, but also plays on the special teams. He's extended as the other. And what happens in, in punt return game, the guys opposite them, you always have to make a, a decision each and every snap how many guys you're going to put out on those gunners. Are you going to hold them up with air quotes vice guys? Vice meaning, you know, the two sides of a vice, like in your wood shop there where you uh, – where you put two guys, essentially a double team, on one of those wide receivers and try to prevent them from getting down the field, or do you single them? And just doing the simple arithmetic of what happens if you single guys, if you single both of them, that means you have eight in the box, which means you're probably rushing the punter, or you only have seven in the box with both singled, and you've got two safeties or two returners back there to ensure that the punt gets caught. Uh, in this particular case, I believe it was Slater that was doubled to one side, and, uh, and Jonathan singled to the right. And what that usually means when a team is doubling to a particular side, it, it's sort of their guess on which way they think the ball is going. Remember, Ryan Allen is left-footed, so they double to his foot side. Usually punts drift or, or you know, they step to their, their kick leg. They prefer to do that so they're not kicking across their body. Um, and in this unusual, not terribly unusual, but you, you usually like to kick uh, – directionally because when you kick down the middle of the field that gives a punt returner 
the whole 52 and a half, 53 and a half, whatever it is, width of the field to work with if you happen to kick a flat ball. If you directionally kick and it's flat, at least you pin them a little bit so you can sort of restrict the amount that the, the coverage dudes have to deal with. Now, in this case, as I mentioned, they double left, they single right. That means you have seven in the box. Seven is unknown to the to the interior guys. Are they are they holding us up or are they going to try to rush us? Because it's sort of a – you can't tell because seven's not definitive. You have enough there to, to actually hold everyone up. Uh, on as they release but you risk you know the, the gunner is only single to getting down there in a hurry and that's precisely what happened so John, Allen kicks a big high ball but keeps it down the middle of the field so they don't get the benefit of having the ball be over where their double is which would sort of you'd assume Slater would be down the field late so to, you know to give the return uh, group a little bit of room so he kicks it down the middle which is a good ball in the event that your single guy wins he does uh, Jones smokes off the, the line gets down there in a hurry and your right tackle, which I believe was Hollister, uh, the, the, t- the fourth tight end that's kept up for the day. Really unusual there to keep up uh, the three backs and the four tight ends. Um, and that clearly looks like his Hollister's role in special teams is what got him up for the day, and rightfully so. Now, I mentioned that they had a certain number of people there in the box, uh, defensively or punt return-wise, uh, to, to hold up people. They went after the up back, uh, which I'm um, thinking that's Chung or maybe it was Ebner, I forget. But anyhow, whoever's the up back uh, on their punt team and then the, and then the wing, uh, who's the, the wings are sort of the guys that look, they're in the sort of hit position next to, next to the tackles. So they make a choice. They don't hold up Hollister. So how, all Hollister has to do is sort of time that he doesn't get down the field too quickly, takes a couple steps backwards and then a couple steps forward. And then provided he's not too far down the field as the ball's being kicked, he was about a yard or two down. But, you know, you get three or four and you, you start start drawing the attention of the official and the flag is going to come. He gets a few yard, yard, a yard past the line of scrimmage, times it up pretty well, but he's out with freedom and no one's assigned to block him. So they're just going to let him go and say, hey, this backup tight end can't, can't tackle in space, won't make the play. So their gamble there is that they can let that guy go, but they've let him go away from where they thought the kick would be because they doubled to the other side hoping to get that left kick. They didn't. They got it down the middle, which means Hollister gets there pretty quick and Jones gets there pretty quick. And and Allen puts up a perfect ball. So it's really kind of the perfect storm for what you want if you're going to pressure the punt. Now, the mistake that I believe the, the returner's name was McKenzie, the mistake he makes is fielding this. Uh, I'm not, not fielding him, excuse me, but trying to return it. So you got that ball. You got two down for you. Jones is there in a hurry. I think you watch it in retrospect. I think there's there's two different ways to see it. Obviously, with a, with a coach's cam, you see it from the end zone angle, which is a little harder to tell left to right how close Jones had gotten when you see the sideline cam, more like the broadcast cam that you see at home. He uh, was down to like two or three yards. He was right on top of the returner. Usually, I don't know, just ballpark it. Usually, you don't see returners field those if they're inside of five yards of you, maybe even more like 10, because remember how fast they're moving at you. If they sense that on on catch, they're going to be right in your mug, usually it means fair catch. But uh, he decided to return this one, which I think was the major error, and it allowed Jones just close enough to kind of dig his hand in there, affect the catch, the muff happens, and Hollister was unblocked, is able to dive right on the ball. So he basically had two free to the returner. The big mistake is even fielding it, and then obviously this kid is, McKenzie has apparently had some issues 
off in the many house. So it's not like a, it's a it's a good job by the special teams unit of getting down there. But when you get singled, you usually expect that guy to win free anyway. And if he wins free to where they haven't kicked away from him, it makes it that much easier. So great job by Jones. Nice hustle by Hollister. Good awareness for him to hop on the ball. And by and large, the, the best thing there is really the kick. Hang it up there, left-footed, spin it a little differently, make it tough on the guy, and the, and the returner makes a dumb decision. Muff happens, you get the ball. Big play, obviously. Now heading on here to the kick return, uh, I, I sent a little uh, a little tweet out on this, so I won't spend a ton of time on this one. Just simply acknowledging that Dion Lewis did an awesome job of hitting it and getting it, as, as Brad Seeley, my old uh, middle special teams coach, used to say, "Got to hit it and get it." In other words, uh, when you see that whole go, go, don't wait. Timing, uh, timing is really. Uh, important here that you go get in the hole that we've created for you and and you go back and watch that that kick return there was some really nice blocking on the play so again i want to separate the two issues great run uh you know good job of of dion of just getting down there and and, excuse me getting up into the return and going in a hurry no no delay no wait there was decisiveness that's helpful and he's not a track star he's a he's a fast guy he's a a running back but i think he's more comparable to like k falk kevin falk was was amazing for us but kevin was more quick than fast Great, you know, great reader of returns, guy that would hit and get it like like Seedley loved him to do, and I think that's kind of how Dion was here as well. So you can, Dion Lewis is, I don't know, I don't know if this is the best way to say it, but he does have one guy free down to him, and he beat him to the spot. You go back and watch the return. There's one guy free. He doesn't really have to make a cut on him. He just has to run to where he's trying to get to the whole end of the return before that guy gets there. And he beats him there. That's good. That's big. If he'd have been a little less decisive, even changing one stride, maybe he doesn't make it there. And then he has to make a cut on that guy, which would change sort of the way the, the return invariably works out. Now, the important thing here, and this is sort of special teams 101, which you know, you're know you never going to hear about on TV, and it maybe only interests a small fraction of the world, uh, especially when they don't, re- they don't usually replay these kick returns and show the blocking much. They just kind of you know ISO on the returner and show that he, he ran it well. Uh, but usually your best kick returns, a thousand percent, are dictated by the work that's done at the double team. You almost always double someone on a kick return. If it's a left return, you'll kick you'll double maybe the three, the guy that's coming down that you count from the outside, one, two, three, uh, back towards the kicker. Um, you can double the four, you can double the five, you can double whoever you want, but usually on sidelines you'll double a guy a little closer to the sideline. But the importance of double teams is it creates another level. He can't get down the field. You grab two guys and then they just they latch onto that dude. And when the double happens, it put makes a little pile, makes a little rock pile that the other guys that are pursuing down the field have to either go around or can't get around. And sometimes that creates sort of an accidental little mini mini wall. And what the Patriots did a really nice job here is once the double team was set, I think it was set out at like the thirty five or forty yard line, makes a pile you see other guys trying to pursue back over the top to the return side and the double team gets in the way of other people so a really good double uh, allows some of the other blockers to just kind of leverage off their guys you don't have to have you know glass eating blocks you just kind of get in your way your dude's way push them leverage them uh, and then Dion's shooting up that sort of tunnel that's created up the left side so Dion does a good job of hitting it getting it uh, getting past the one unblocked guy without having to make a cut first cut he makes is up on the 35 yard line which is huge and it's on the kicker so he's standing at the 30 first time he's had to change stride is is one you know sort of space juke on the kicker 
Baker. Uh, McManus is, you know, out of his element there. Who wouldn't be? Uh, and Dion shoots past him. But at that point, blocking was perfect. There was nothing that Dion had to deal with. Really a great job overall of uh, the return group of blocking it up. And I know people like to sort of get into the snarky, uh, oh, it's just special teams only guys. And, you know, thank God that they have a regular running back out there making the play for them. Um, again, this is not to, to downplay the great work that Dion did, but I think you could have put a lot of returners out there that would have still gotten those same yards. Uh, and, 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 uh, you know, then the special stuff comes later after the cut, the cut to, to break down the kicker, the, the sort of acceleration down the sideline aided by a bad tackle attempt by one of those dudes who kind of actually pushed Dion into the rush or excuse me, into the return. He kind of gave him like a little, uh, I don't know, Mario brothers kind of boost there where he, you know, he turns, uh, where you, where you eat the star or whatever, and you turn the colors and jet up the sideline. It looks like Dion was traveling at one speed and then he got kind of pushed into it and helped him accelerate from other people. So bad, bad tackle there attempt by whoever that was on the Broncos uh, kit coverage team. But I think this was very heavily uh, dependent upon great blocking, good good scheme call, and uh, good running there also by Deion Lewis. But, you know, just a game breaker. So uh, that's, that's a nice return. You need to put that out there. Uh, that obviously usually uh, I should put that out there, excuse me, that this is something that Coach Belichick always told us. It's a really big uh, – yeah, sort of historical stat. You know, I'm not stat guy, but he would always impress upon us how, how, and I, again, I don't know the exact number, but just how important it was when you score in the kicking game, what a huge boon that is for the for basically both units, offense and defense, because you won back a possession, you got points, you, you the the this the odds of winning when you've scored on special teams, they shoot up. To whatever the, the whatever that number happens to be, but it's it's a huge factor in a game because you, you you put points on without involving any of the other two units, so that's a big factor in the game. But then we obviously know there's a punt block here, the final big special teams play that comes, and the punt block again is also one of those other sort of. Belichick uh, sort of keynote things he'd always touch upon. In the event that you have a game where a punt is blocked, the odds of winning there shoot up uh, crazy as well. So now in this bizarro game where you have already a turnover on a punt uh, and you have a score on kick kick return and a punt block, I mean this. I mean these are all that usually you're you're in great shape with any one of those three. You get all three. Man, catbird seat for both the offense and defense. It's at that point, it's they're really playing way ahead of the curve already. So, huge week there for the Patriots as far as special teams, and 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 don't be surprised by it. This is by design. They put better people out there. They put people that win their blocks more often and and cover and beat their guy who's trying to block them more often. That's it's by design. It's because this stuff matters. I think there's a really corny corny argument out there. Uh, I've seen some uh, you know some of the staffing stuff uh, pictures of. Or I'm sorry, like the the people that that, that uh, you know track how often plays happen anymore, as far as because the kick return stuff. There's more, you know, there's more, there's more of these uh, these touchbacks, right? So it's like, oh, the kicks somehow matter less. Um, they're, they're, you know, say if there's fewer overall net special teams plays, uh, that somehow devalues them. And, and I say no, that's silly, uh, unless you were to simply eliminate them entirely. As long as it's still happening, even if it's down sort of a percent of time they're happening, uh, you know, say it was down 10%, maybe it's down 20%, whatever it was, 30, whatever, it doesn't matter. There's still going to be punts and those still amount for a ton of space. And in games like this out in a kick return, out in Denver, that would be the game where you would all presume uh, touchbacks, you know, because it's altitude and they can bomb the ball and you could see that both McManus and Guskowski, if they wanted to, 
excuse me, could have kicker could have touchbacks on every single play, but neither really want that. You know, they want the high kick that's right around the goal line, maybe even a yard or two out or a yard or two deep, but to make them have to bring it out uh, because you know that you put the you put the returner in a quandary. So the idea that the the volume is down would somehow mean that the importance is down on, on an exact percentage basis is is illogical. It doesn't work that way. Why? Because you still account for uh, an inordinate amount of, of yardage overall. You know, when you do a special teams play, it's not a one-for-one one, like an offensive series play. I mean, it, clearly, if you're a bean counter, you get that, oh, there's more offensive plays, there's more defensive plays, and there's this percentage of special teams plays, so their importance rides upon the play count. No, it does not. That's not that doesn't make sense. Why? Because a kickoff covers, like, 70 yards potentially you know kickoff covers a lot more space one kickoff play is more value is you know co- covers more ground covers more real estate and there's more real estate at, at play there's more real estate uh, you know that's that's in, in dispute i guess on on a punt play on a on a on a on a kick return than there ever is on a check down or on a three yard run so they're not a one for one so don't ever try to Trying to rationalize them as that same thing and say, "No, you should get, you should carry less of these good special teams players." That that's silly. Um, so this is, this is why those things matter because they know that the special teams play, irrespective of of, of play count, matter more. They matter more. They cover more. Not just for the opportunity to you know get the turnovers, but also to prevent the big plays. Preventing big plays is is, is almost as big as getting them right. So you could look at the the kick coverage here, which hasn't gotten nearly the shine as 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 the other three. And I still haven't done the punt, but I'll get to that in a second. I didn't want to leave from the kick game here. Steven Giskowski uh, floating up these super high uh, hang time balls that are forced to come out. The kick coverage unit for the Patriots is really good on this day as well. So to fly down there to get things that are inside what the what the touchback would give you, that's big time football. That's important stuff. That is a huge, again, a benefit to the offense, especially when things come down to potential field goals at the other end. The Patriots play a style of defense that they're not going to gamble. They're not going to put too many people in the box. They're not going to blitz uh, five, six, seven, anything like that to expose on the back end and potentially give up a full field swinging play. What they like to do is play as tight as they possibly can, rush either three or four, and occasionally sprinkle in a five if there's some sort of tendency to direct, that directs them where to do it. And what does that mean? It means they stresses other teams to go 12 and 15 play drives, and knowing that their belief that once you get you to the tighter room of a, of a red zone, they can buck down and you're not going to be able to get it done. So in that environment, gaining back five or even 10 or even sometimes more yards than that on a kick coverage basically adds place to what it would have to do to drive the length of the field, typically, against them, because they don't give up 20-yard plays that much. They give up fours and sixes and sevens and the occasional 10 or 11. But when you get back 10 yards, you know, you cover a kick and get it down on the 17-yard line or, you know, the 14-yard line or a great kick that's on the 20, whatever it was. Go look at where the field goal invariably happens, the field goal attempt. And add that back if they weren't able to cover the kick as well. And, you know, it, it makes the difference between a 42-yarder and a 47. 47 is harder to make. Or a 47 and a 52. Or, you know, we could do this, you know, all day long. But you, hopefully you understand my point. My basic point is good coverage matters. And using that area of the game to your advantage matters. It's not really a matter of debate. The people that know this best understand it, and they're the ones doing it. And that's why you cheer for that team, because they know what they're doing. Uh, so, if you know, hopefully you appreciate that part. If you don't, you're just missing it. So, now moving on to the punt game. Um, the punt game here, obviously, with a punt, 
punt uh, block. Really cool play. Obviously, it's, it's nice to see Rex Burkhead come back in, have have a big effect in the game. Uh, you can see that uh, you know he's he's been a, a great addition. Obviously, when he got himself back and healthy, and now this has been three weeks back. Uh, very positive addition to of the offense. Obviously, I was I was Jones in there very much uh, happy. Let's say because I actually did him as a play in fantasy. And you out there don't give a shit about my my fantasy team, but I, I was really under the impression after his sort of uh, touch gains in the last two weeks that in this third week he would it would go up even higher it did he was the high touch guy for the Patriots on offense as far as the back group and then has his his usual roles on special teams so I would point to him uh, for the work that he did on the punt block not for some sort of superhuman amazing special teams play he just did his job He, he rushed over the tackle and blocked it and he blocked it because they didn't block him. <laughs> so they screwed up the protection. Uh, so I think as much as crediting Rex Burkhead, uh, you know, and that, and people will point to that and say, oh, you know, the Patriots are, are using their offensive players uh, on special teams that are starters, and that's what helped makes the special teams better. You know, it's because Rex Burkhead's really a starter and he's over there that you that your special teams are so much better as opposed to the, the core guys, the Slaters, the Kings, the Ebners, the stuff like that. That's just not true. Uh, because I think really you could have slotted anyone in an erect spot there. Not not anyone. I mean, obviously his quickness helps, but you could have slotted a lot of guys in in his spot on that punt block, and they probably would have got it done because he was unblocked. Uh, the the Broncos blew the blew the protection, and that's not to not to criticize uh, Burkhead. He did an awesome job, but um, I think it's more to credit Joe Judge, or I don't know if it's, it's Judge that drew one up, or if it's Bubba uh, Ventrone who's there as the assistant special teams guy, but. We'll sort of ask you here to hearken back to the earlier conversation about the punt muff where the Patriots are punting, and we talked about 6, 7, and 8, how many different people they put in the box and what that usually means. So on this punt block, the Patriots only had six guys in the box, which usually means they're now doubling to two gunners. They've got you know two and two on the outside. When... You have six in the box, and you know I can speak to this as 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 one of the holdup guys on punt return that love to just uh, man. I was going to say rape. That's the wrong word. That feels disrespectful in today's world. Uh, uh, really molest. That's wrong too. Uh, be extremely aggressive and take physical advantage of. Is that the right word? I don't know. Whatever. On hold. I'm sorry. What a tangent. But to really hold up your guy and block the crap out of him and just sort of physically dominate the dude. That that is that is what I love to do and and was a specialty of mine. I love punt return hold up because that's what you get a chance to do. And usually you do that in six, in eight. You're rushing, almost always rushing. Uh, that's why you have the extra guys in the box to overload gaps and try to block the punt. In seven, it's a question mark. The Patriots on the punt block, they got six. Six usually means rut, or six usually means hold up. So if you're on a punt team, you see six, you count six. You know there's actually a couple of your guys that may potentially be free. Uh, they might be dropping one off to help as an extra double team down the field on one of the gunners, uh, or I'm mean, sorry, in front of the returner as as sort of like a lead blocker for him. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but six usually tells you they're probably not rushing from six um but they did and that's sort of the okie doke here that the patriots pulled so they got six up and they they overload back to what uh i think they're maybe guessing is going to be the kick side so there's two guys one that's over center and then one is is to the right side if you're now looking out as the as the broncos punt team who come back over left of center so it's like a twist or or a slant or whatever you want to call it so all of a sudden they've now overloaded the left side with i believe it was four guys left of center and now right 
two guys right of center. So they've overloaded the leg side and actually start rushing, which is, is again, a mild surprise. Either way, the defense still has to, sorry, the punt team still has to block it up like an offensive line would a pass rush. So for whatever reason, left tackle, who would have the number two guy as you're counting left to right, just lets Burkhead go, starts to block him, starts to kind of put his hands on him, and then sort of passes him off, puts it, kind of taps him almost as if I think he thinks the guy outside of him will take him for him. Well, he can't. The guy outside of him, uh, the wing, already has a guy rushing over him. And Burkhead just rushes straight through, uh, unfettered, gets right to it, gets his quickness, obviously helps him out, does a nice job of of sort of uh, corralling the ball, not letting it go through his hands, it basically went in his belly so that was you know it was awesome it was a good technique but i think you have to you have to credit the the scheme here maybe even more because it something they did uh forced the left tackle to to have a mental error and screw the thing up so uh you know also you just say sometimes sometimes people do boneheaded stuff and that was a, a bad bad protection sort of count by the left tackle for the broncos but anyway that happened that was a big play there's your three so we've we've jumped in the show here and almost spent a half an hour on special teams obviously that's my preference i love i thought that was such a big part of the game i won't normally do that in a week uh but this is such a unique one i thought it was worth spending the time on it um one of the things that uh we should touch on here as sort of a going away though on that Patriots game is uh, against the Broncos is is allocation of dollars. This is more of a, an off-season conversation typically, but I wanted to sort of highlight to you in that game the contrast between the Broncos' makeup and the Patriots' makeup and how the Patriots' roster makeup, I think, is really, really helping them. As we mentioned, I think they spend more. Uh, this shouldn't be an opinion, but I, I believe this to be true because there's so many vets who get bigger numbers on that special team side of the ball. Guys like Ebner, guys like Slater, guys like Brandon King. Uh, and that costs money, and that's an area that a lot of teams, I think, often just use their drafted players who are on their rookie contracts and don't like to spend on the second contract vets to go out and do that particular job. So you have a huge advantage there if your guys play to their play to their contract, and these guys with the Patriots obviously do. Where does that money come from then? Um, you look at the Patriots, or well, not come from, I guess, but just, you know, it, it affords you less of other places. The Broncos have is they have one of the bigger uh you know single cap hits for a wide receiver in the NFL at 14 million dollars to Demarius Thomas. This is not a speech uh deriding a guy for having a great great contract. Good for De- Demarius Thomas. He's had a lot of thousand year, yard seasons. He's a very good player. Uh he earned his money. It's just not about that. But I think as a matter of contrast showing Demarius Thomas at 14 million a pop and showing the Patriots extremely strong back group, one of which was was inactive for the day, Mike Gillisley. But cumulatively, the Patriots' back group has an $11 million cap hit for the season. So I think that provides sort of a a, a roster choice, a GM choice, uh, when you're sort of putting this thing together. And we know Belichick kind of plays both roles. Obviously, Nick Casario is he- heavily involved in this as well. But in a situation like that, how much impact can Demarius Thomas have as a good player uh, relative to this four-person backer, one of which was was inactive. I think, for me personally, if I'm trying to construct a team, I love this idea of the Patriots at that 11 million cap number, which is now, I believe, two or three in the whole NFL for overall back allocation, the Steelers being number one at 13 million. 
Look at the benefit the Patriots are getting out of that group. It's injury insurance, which is very important because it's the NFL, and you never know week to week who's going to be up and who's going to be down. And Burkhead's obviously been banged up at times. Deion Deion Lewis has an injury history, but it's been healthy throughout this one so far. Gillisley has had injuries and has come up and down, and then this week a healthy scratch. But the idea of super depth, but also four really nice, talented players that can help you in a lot of different ways, I think that's a much bigger benefit than a single star wide receiver, especially in the instance where you're paying a receiver a lot of time and you can't figure out a lot of money and you can't figure out your quarterback situation. So it can end up being wasted dollars. That's why I think the Patriots are, I really like this approach. And I think it also sort of debunks this notion that the Patriots somehow devalue the running back position or they don't, they just think it's cheap and, and, you know, something where you should not spend money. This is the season that completely blows that, that idea to, to pieces. Uh, they, I know they've underspent there in years past, but I think this was a, a shift in, in philosophy because they realized how valuable it was and they could get it at sort of commodity pricing. Uh, the four of them cumulatively, even though they're, they're nearly high at paying them, they're not paying any single guy 10 million bucks. And that's, that's important. Um, I, I think this is a much better way to do things. I think if, you know, if you somehow have a problem with Mike Gillisey making what he's making and being inactive or not getting a ton of carries, I don't think you should think that way because it, it's a shared, a shared sort of contribution situation. There will probably be a situation where one of these four are dinged up before the end of the season again, and then you slide in and out of the lineup and and use these guys. I would guess, as we stand here, that Mike Gillisley has a big role in a game somewhere down the road uh, in this playoff run uh, for the Patriots. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And if it doesn't happen... Man, he had a nice first half. Maybe not, you know, not the bell cow people may have dreamed about, but in a situation where you got four great backs, nobody was going to be the bell cow. I think we bell cow in this situation means fifteen carries, not not twenty five. So, um, just touching on that situation quickly, what do I see going on with Gillisley as we head forward? Um, you know, the difficult portion for him, and the reason I understood if you had to deactivate one, it was pretty predictable that Gillisley would. Uh, Mike Reese is the, my, my, my source here on this one. I usually rely pretty heavily on his snap count stuff, and he does such great write-ups for ESPN Boston. Uh, Mike had had him at 13, 13 snaps for the last uh, two weeks prior to this Denver game. So it was a little bit predictable that Burkhead's increase, they add a tight end in Bennett, uh, they make some other decisions uh, at the tackle spot. You know, obviously you lose Marcus Cannon, so you're going to have to have Fleming up uh, as your third. So you know, there's there were some some difficult decisions there to make, and it's it's predictable that you're, it's going to be really hard to carry a fourth, especially when you carry a fullback and you have Brandon Bolden that you absolutely need on special teams. So it's uh it, it's predictable that one of the four will be down. I think pr- throughout the rest of this year, unless they de- decide to not do four tight ends, and that's something to keep an eye on for. Uh, I keep an eye on as the Patriots head down to Mexico and play the Raiders because Martellus Bennett, who had a nice game, comes in, only gets seven snaps, but gets two important carries and blocks pretty well on some other plays. In those seven, uh, for the short roll that he had, he did apparently tweak his hammy a little bit, and that sort of, I think, led to his inactivity. That seven-rep snap count shot up Dwayne Allen's participation. Dwayne was in for 20 for the game. Uh, But that'll be a big factor in where the backs sit uh, down in in Mexico, in my view. So if there's some reason Bennett can't go entirely – it's very reasonable that they might carry four as they've done before back at the back group and Gillisley gets back involved or uh, Hollister, you know, just jumps up and has a bigger role and they go with three there and they carry all four tackles, you know, with Marcus Cannon up who really knows, but 
we'll see. I think between the tight ends, between the tackles, and between the backs, there's going to be toggling that's going to go on throughout the rest of the year. Gillisley hasn't done anything other than maybe a fumble early in the season to say don't have him play, don't give him carries. Uh, but I think the versatility of the other three is a little bit higher than his as far as the pass-catching portion of it, especially when you look at Burkhead's plays that he made last week. Some were as true, wide rece- as true running backs. One, I believe his touchdown was actually as him extended as a solo isoed wide receiver against the free safety for the Broncos. So you can call him back, call him whatever you want. He's basically your wide receiver on the field and makes a really nice play and ends up being a touchdown. So um, that's where we sit on that. Don't be surprised if Gillisley has plenty of role throughout the rest of the year, but don't be surprised if it's less than the other three because of the overall versatility of the crew. And I am glad, and I believe you should be as well, that the Patriots spent their money that way. Now we're going to move right in here to the Twitter questions, and I think this is a nice way to sort of address what you guys want to hear more than just what I want to talk about. And uh, we should do this more. Uh, This obviously ends up being more of my blabbing than than anything, but I I want to make sure that this show is the place where you can get an education uh, and we can talk through things as well challenge me on things that you either don't understand or you completely disagree with me on i like that completely fine with it and this is the kind of venue where we can really long form explain what's really going on so let's dive here in here to the questions and one of the first ones that pops up is patrick chung is a high percentage slot corner um and what's going on with that, and why would they use him down there in that world as, as, as opposed to Jonathan Jones, who I think you know is a quicker, faster guy, has obviously had a really nice season of overall coverage stuff. Um, and you know, I think when you think air quote slot corner, you think other corner, you know, smaller, faster corner. Why would uh, you use a, a strong safety, use a little bulkier guy to come down in the box and play the slot, slot corner? Here's my answer to that: uh, He's not playing slot corner. In my view, it, the way it works with with uh, a third safety who's on the field, which is invariably how you get Patrick Chung down there over a slot, is he's really playing linebacker. He's not. He's playing sub linebacker. A linebacker comes out of the game. Chung comes in, and. When Chung doesn't come in, when a linebacker goes out of the game and a defensive back comes in, that's based upon the personnel group that's across from you. Usually, and that's called dime because you've got you know more and an extra corner in the game. And why why teams do the dime version is well, it just depends upon how many wide receivers the other team has in the game. If they got four wideouts, or even the three wideout stuff, which would be eleven personnel, one tight end, one back, and the three wide receivers, that's when dime makes more sense because that third person, the potential slot guy is going to, by and large, be a wide receiver, a guy that would be a mismatch for your, your corner, uh, or I'm sorry, for your safety who's coming down. But just understand that where where Patrick Chung stands on the field when he's playing air quote slot corner is the same place that a linebacker in a 4-3 defense uh, or even 3-4 defense would play if there was a slot extended to him. You walk out. You walk out, and then you're now playing the air quote slot corner. I guess I never thought of myself as a slot corner, but when you play Sam in a, as outside linebacker in a defense, and there's a an extended number two to your side, you walk out on him. Is that a rep of slot corner? No, it's a rep of linebacker, and you just walk out. So it's I, I think it I think it's a better way to conceptualize it if you're you're trying to figure out what Patrick Chung is doing. They're not bringing him in to play man to man slot corner coverage. They're bringing him in 
to play outside linebacker and linebackers have to walk out in sub. So um, just, I, I think if you think of it that way, it makes a little more sense uh, to why, you know, now in the event that you walk out and you're over a wide receiver, I highly doubt it's, it would be unusual to make Patrick Chung cover that guy man to man all over the field. If it's a kind of wide receiver safety mismatch without help in those scenarios, it's almost a virtual certainty that he's got either over the help, over the top help from one of those safeties, or they've got half safeties where they're both over the top, or he's getting a double component, or there's a free linebacker inside to help him as well. Um, usually his straight man to man, don't got to worry about anything stuff, is when you put him down there against a tight end or another back. That makes more sense. Um, you're, you won't do that with Patrick Chung typically against wide receiver. So call him a slot corner, call him whatever the hell you want. He's down there doing the sub version of a linebacker role. And he does it damn well. So I think the conceptualization there really helps you. And the percentage stuff, I don't know. Sometimes a roll-down safety when there's only two safeties in the game can end up uh, to a strong side looking like he's a slot corner too. And that's, again, that's just a roll-down safety where the force player potentially uh, extended over one. Uh, so is it a slot corner? I don't know. I don't like that phrase. Uh, but it was a great question, though. That's a really good question because I think there's some stuff there that can, can be confusing if you're just watching it on TV and try to figure out what he's doing down there. So uh, second question here, is the, is the Patriots' defense fixed or is it a function of playing weak offenses? Now, uh, I do not think the weak offense angle makes a ton of sense to me because I think this is sort of fishbowl talk where – the Patriots, uh, you know, make improvements, and we hyperventilate. That's the wrong word. It's not 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 as if this questioner is putting it that way, but we sort of hypercritic criticize who they do things against to find out if they count, but then compare them back into some sort of rankings of other teams uh, and where they are on points per game or where they are on yards per game or whatever your metric is. It should be points. So yards shouldn't be the the measurable that, that you care about, but. Here's the thing. So if, if a Patriots uh, stop uh, a de- defensive st- uh, performance that helps get them a stat, it happens against the Broncos, you can't not count it unless you're presuming the teams you're comparing them against were simply playing the Eagles every week, and they're not, you know, or playing the Rams every week, and they're not. So the other stats for the other people that you're then comparing them to, well, they're playing, they're playing some good ones, some bad ones, some bad ones, some good ones, just like the Patriots are playing some good ones, some bad ones, some bad ones, some good ones. So when the Patriots hold the Falcons to seven points, that's a good offense, even if they've been struggling. When the Patriots hold the Chargers to 13, that's a good offense, even though if they're struggling. Those are that's good personnel. They're good players. Uh, so when the Patriots hold the Bucks to 14, They've struggled, but it's not like those are those are bad crews. When the Patriots, uh, you know, hold the Saints, which is really the, in retrospect, going to be one of the hallmark defensive performances of the year because they kept them to twenty. That's a really good performance uh, against. And, and again, it's week two, and I think it's probably the game people forget about most. But I think it's better appreciated in the rear view because of what the Saints have done since then. It's a sixteen point victory on the road against that Saints offense in their building on the fast turf where they always tend to score more. Holding them to 20 there is as impressive as holding you know, the Chargers to 13 at home. So that's a big week. That's a big game. And, and especially because that 20, part of it became in garbage time after there was an even bigger lead than what ends up on that final scorecard. So um, is, the, is the defense fixed? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they're playing at a super high level. They've had a stretch here now where they gave up 16, then 13, then 7, then 17 then 14 then I mean that's that's really good that's really good uh, so I don't again I wouldn't hyper focus on who it happened against unless you're 
willing to do that to every other team that they played. You know, the, the, the Seattle Seahawks didn't get their defensive ranking by playing the Patriots every week. It's not how it happens. So everyone's playing a blend. The Patriots are playing a blend, and they've done great against who they faced. So their biggest issues have been against the teams with the the really serious threat of run at the quarterback position, the misdirection stuff, the the game plan runs. That was the Chiefs. That was the Panthers. That was the Texans with Deshaun Watson. None of those those three things have been an issue because they haven't had to face it again. We'll learn more about that when they face the Bills. Or maybe we won't because it sounds like Peterman is now the quarterback and that should change things. We don't know a lot about that guy. It certainly changes the face of that offense uh, without the mobile quarterback uh, behind center there in Tyrod Taylor. So that's kind of where I stand on where the defense sits. You should be very proud of where they're at and uh, I think are happy and proud. It's not yours, but it's a team you cheer for and you, and you love them. And I think they're heading very much in the right direction and it's a very real result. These aren't sort of phony things. Uh, looking at the gunner pressure window, this is an interesting question by by one of the Twitter one of the Twitter followers. I should have wrote the name down, but uh, the idea of when a gunner should pressure to force a fair catch, or when a gunner should sort of slide back just slightly to allow the punt to happen, so they can pressure the punt. You know, pressure the catch that's going to be a live catch, and maybe force them to fumble or muff as it happened the other night. Well, all I'll simply say is. it's that's probably a little more technical than you're getting into it's a live chaotic you know hyperspeed recess kind of play because uh, a, a, a punt gunner has got to cover usually 50 yards with guys hanging all over them uh especially in a double vice situation but in a single you're just it's a race it's a race it's sort of a weaving race you're just trying to get there your goal is really to force fair catches. If you can force fair catches every single time, you know you're the best gunner in football. You know if you can, if you're on the field and you can force uh, fair catches from doubles, you're you're the best guy in football. If you're doing it from singles, that's kind of the expectation, but it's a huge thing if you can do it. So it's it's less of a, a victory if you yeah you're pressuring the punt, but he's getting the catch. But again, that's not something you can entirely control because if your punter doesn't hang it up high enough, then you know it's going to get returned. But it's not as if I guess that this was sort of a pressure window question. How do they hold back? I don't usually ever see like a gunner that got out there free and has done a great release hold back, you know, to go ahead and let him catch it so I can uh, so I can maybe you know tackle him and force a fumble. Usually you just get there to try to force the fair catch. If they're fielding it, it's it's not by design of the gunner, it's more by design of the of the return who's who's willing to take that chance. Usually once a gunner has, you know, entered into sort of the field of vision of the punt returner as he's sort of staring up in the sky but kind of feeling you and seeing you out, you know, out of his uh, peripheral vision there or whatever. Uh, if he feels you inside of 10 and the ball's still hanging up there, he's almost always going to fair catch it. If it's flatter and he thinks you're far enough away at 10, he might take it. If you're already to 5, I mean, I think the hand goes up almost each and every time. In this case, the McKenzie kid didn't do it, and I think it was an error. I think that's one that should have been fair caught because he was going to get killed, fumble, muff, whatever, uh, if he took that risk, at least on a higher percentage basis. So that's my thoughts on that. Malcolm Butler on the double moves. Be quick with this one. Obviously, he was not uh, his best work. Um, obviously, I'm a big Malcolm Butler fan. I like the kid. Uh, I think he's very stand-up guy, extremely competitive, hard on himself, but does let it go and go on to battle the next play. Uh, he got burned early by a couple double moves, and I can simply speak to this. I don't know the first thing about playing cornerback because I'm not that kind of athlete, more just observing those guys and the parts that I've had to do myself covering a tight end or a running back. Um, and what what makes double moves hard 
is in man-to-man situations is part of what you're doing is is just reading and trying to stay in the pocket of the guy you're covering in man. And there is sort of a little time clock in a guy's head where, you know, you can't make four or five cuts. Usually in your head, if you've made a first cut, you've extended a route up the field a little bit, you juke and then make a significant cut and head into the route. Once you make the next cut, there is that kind of clock in your head that says, well, there can't be a third, you know, because they've got to have gotten to him back there and I can't turn around and look. I think where Malcolm got in trouble is after the first cut here, his eyes went back in the backfield. I think he's, in part, he could be thinking along the lines of, of tendencies he's seen or routes that he is expecting from a certain formation. And he guesses, you know, from study and says, okay, this brout broke at that down in distance, and he looks back, he cheats. He looks back at the quarterback and doesn't feel the second move happen, or in this case, I would almost argue it was almost the third move because there's sort of a juke, which you could count the first, then the break, maybe the second, and then a third thing back up field. So it's not to excuse it. Those are tough routes, especially when it's the very first thing, you pretty much the first route I think he covered of the day. Um, so, you know, you got to be on it, and usually what the coaching staff is going to say is just don't look back. Uh, you're in great position. Uh, go ahead and play it honest. Uh, once you can feel the receiver gathering and going for the ball, well, then that's your look-back point. You're in dominant position. Uh, but that was more of a cheat that I think got him in trouble. And, you know, it, it wasn't a perfect day for him. But that's, you shouldn't say not perfect. I think it wasn't a good day for him. But fortunately for Malcolm overall is he was really good once they got into the red zone. And that's the stuff that counts way more than this. So he gave up a handful, ends up being a good statistical day for Emmanuel Sanders, but Sanders doesn't score in the red zone. So they play on top of these routes and uh, give them enough additional coverage down the field to keep them from being a big problem. So do you just live with, I think the, the, the tweet question, something to the effect is, you know, is he just overly aggressive? Do we just live with the highs and lows of Malcolm? And I would say there's far more highs than lows with this guy. And uh, maybe he'll just be a little more cautious now on the double move stuff and uh, it'll be a problem fix but you know on this situation most importantly tip of the cap to Emmanuel Sanders tremendous route runner I think he's a guy we'd see have a lot more productivity had the quarterback situation been better there the last few years Um, but he had a good day uh, but they kept him out of the end zone and and that's probably the most important part. I wouldn't worry about Malcolm. There's your big takeaway. So Pat's time management at the end of the game, I wasn't sure exactly what this question was but because um, it just simply says time management at the end of the game. But here's what I'll say about their ability to control time. They have a running game now. They're blocking really well guard to guard with, with Tooney, uh, Andrews, and Jack Mason. The three of those guys are blocking well, uh, getting movement, not just walling guys, you know, turning them or whatever, but actually getting movement with their double team, uh, preventing them from getting knocked themselves back into into the backfield and causing you know backs to have to run the hump. I think we're in a point of the season right now where the Patriots are really good at getting three yards. And it sounds like, well, who cares? Three yard per carry is bad. No, three every time you need it is is good uh, because, you know, those are conversions. Three, three, three. You get fourth and one. They sneak. They get it. The problem is when you have a three yard per carry from getting a five and a one. Five and a one is bad. You know, a three and a three is preferable to a five and a one. I know that sounds silly, but it's because of you've gotten the three, then you get the second three. Then you're in four. You know, you only got four to go, and it's really a nice play action situation for third and comfortable. When you get ones, I, I just don't think that you don't want to be the team that, well, even a more dramatic uh, example, a team that gets to uh, a 20, you know, you get 25 yards per carry. Or I'm sorry, you get 25 yards of total run uh, offense. And this is meant to be sort of over the top. But say it came from a 20 and four ones. You don't want to get your average based upon that. You'd much rather have 
uh, flat art, you know, flat sort of production. Threes or fours every single time to give you a three seven yards per carry is actually pretty good. And I think that's kind of where the Patriots sit. So how that relates to time management, I think they've gotten to a point now where they don't have to revert to run game and 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 fear that that means, oh, if we just run and they know we're running, we're going to be in a three and out situation. I don't think they're there right now. So I think they have much better control of their time management because of the addition of a nice run game. Um, the too many men in the field thing. Patriots are so good at this. Tom is so good at this. I think that the way they stress people with that is that they get up to the ball quickly. Uh, and the question here is basically why are they that much better than others is getting that, getting that, that kind of call. Um, I, I think part of it is, uh, part of it is, is Tom's awareness very simply and the difficulty of, of switching personnel groups against the Patriots, especially as they move down the field in your, in your substitution areas up the sideline a little bit, you really should, uh, it, it, I don't know if should's the right word, but you should, you should, <laughs> there I used it again. The thing you want to do as a defense is have your first group be versatile defense that's on the field be versatile enough to cover both sub and nickel. And the problem is if you have the wrong guess early enough in a series and the Patriots go quickly enough and they don't let you substitute, you could get stuck with nickel against groups that start getting run on you. And when the you know a defensive coordinator notices from the sideline or up in the booth that, hey man, we're getting gashed on nickel, we got to get these two out and get these two in to just you know uh, sort of quit the quit the the bleeding here and Brady the Brady's taking advantage of us and he's check with me he's getting runs in at stuff that doesn't fit our personnel group we got a quick uh, we got a quick uh, make an adjustment or make a, a substitution that's usually when they pounce after a good play realizing you're not going to like what you continue to stay with looking to the sideline seeing the coordinator saying let's get those two guys the hell out of there and get a better group with it that's when they then pounce again so it's just they're just a really tough group to do substitutions against to begin with and because they themselves run a ton of different personnel groups they're flipping guys on and off and you're unfortunately as defense always usually i shouldn't say always but usually required to respond to what they're doing so the offense they got first swing they run out their muddle little huddle or they do it so quickly from the sideline there's that one or two second pause where you kind of have to realize from the sideline what their personnel group is and hope that you got it right and if the two second delay as you figure it out they start to get up to the line and you still try to still try to substitute well then you're screwed so that, that's kind of how it goes down but let's just know just know big picture they're better than almost everyone and it's it's an awareness thing and knowing when to do it so um the Gronk and Marty on the field together thing um I'll hit this quickly this will be a 30 second point and don't haven't done a lot of those today but uh, Martellus Bennett only got seven snaps last week I think with the high inclusion of Allen once he went out I think it tells you that there was meant to be more of the two tight end stuff uh with the two of them on the field but with the hammy issue and the shoulder lingering I wouldn't be surprised if his his role is lower this week and you know uh, it's not meant to be a cold take that'll that'll throw back in my face if he ends up being healthy never mind that's not relevant but uh i i love the idea of getting those guys in the field together later for play action reasons you build the formation with the two of them together stick it in the running backs gut hold it hold it hold it pull it out one of those two releases and that's your first target uh and then also just the two of those guys blocking together even the three of them with potentially all three of those tight ends on the field you move bodies you kill outside linebackers they're just too big of tight ends so you can win a lot of edges with those guys we should look forward to them being on the field together uh roberts harris van noy we saw a lot of these guys this week uh landon roberts is a super aggressive um, 
and to his detriment sometimes, but also to my glee sometimes. The way he fills holes is awesome. The way he hits guards is awesome. The times that he gets in a little bit of trouble is when he overplays, uh, you know, an offset back, and he takes a couple steps, and then Alanda goes wildly at him, and maybe vacates an area they'd like him to slow play a little better. David Harris is a more patient guy. David Harris is a more read the scheme a little better. You can just tell he's a, as a more advanced player as far as reacting to the run scheme in front of him. And that's, that's typical with vets, but the idea here, and I think the, 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 the premise behind this question is Roberts, Harris, Van Noy, use of those guys sort of cycling through in the absence of Dante Hightower. Do I like what they're doing with it? Is it relating to Marsh being gone? Uh, Marsh uh, was inactive for the game. Trevor Riley, I don't know his actual play count, but made one nice play on the edge. Uh, the special teams got number 51, got a bigger bump. Marquise Flowers, number 59, had a 20-play snap count day. I think that was a nice little one. Actually had a stop in the red zone and one-on-one against uh, uh, Charles, Jamal Charles. So he was the probably your team's guy who's rep count jumped a little more with Marsh being down and Van Noy uh, is more comfortable being the roaming guy. He'll play completely all over the defensive formation and they sort of control the amount of reps they give the older guy, David Harris, but David's super solid, very productive when he's in there, was near the top of the tackle charts for the group. I would just say that I think they, I like their little rotation that they've got going now. Landon is solid and David is a rock and Van Noy is versatile, and Flowers is super competent, quietly so, comes in, covers well, can rush well as a backer if they need him for that, and has set some edges. So uh, those are new faces you haven't seen much. I think cumulatively the group is pretty good, and uh, I think they probably feel pretty comfortable with where they're at, especially with the Riley kids starting to get more uh, get more reps, and, and, and same with Flowers. Two guys they're comfortable with that weren't a part of this conversation at all weeks and months ago. So the run game was strong, but the yard carry is low. I think I kind of touched on that. Hopefully I, I covered enough of that in the previous segment. One thing I would simply say that, that sort of adds on to that point is here's one reason why yards per carry uh, compared across 32 teams or 32 lead backs is never very helpful. You can't presume that everyone's getting a carry on first and 10 with the same personnel group across from. That's why it's just not sameness. If you're, if you're comparing, say, a third down back who almost always gets his carries as draws on third and 12 and he gets seven and eight yards, how can you compare that guy to a running back who comes in the game and it's first and three on the goal uh, on, on 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 the goal line going in, you know, first and three on the three. Well, you're not going to get a seven yard carry. You can't get one. You, they're packing the box. It's, it might be hard to get two. So I've never liked the trying to compare like the like because they're not running like the like formations. They're not running like the like things across from them. So the fact that the Patriots had what I felt like was a pretty solid, productive day of three point four per carry. That was in part because they saw eight-man boxes. They went pro sets. They went two wide receivers both sides, fullback in the game. They used the running game more in short yardage. You use it more in short yardage, you expect less out of it, you know, as far as net run, net yards, than you would out of a you know, spread running game or a one-back running game. So uh, don't I wouldn't hyper-focus on what the yards per carry gets them. More on did they get conversions with the back group? Yes. Did they get situational wins with the run game? Yes. Did they get... Uh, when they did fail on one that they had to field goal where they got the penalty uh, against uh, whoever was covering Burkhead, they get the restart of the series down low, and they don't get the conversion. Uh, the tail end of it, it was uh, a pressure. Safety got through on, on James White, and uh, I got, I believe got a sack on Tom, but that ended up leading to a field goal. So there was a moment where it wasn't 
wasn't good enough that I'm sure they'll be getting critiqued on this week. But by and large, really good production overall by those guys. James White's great in space. Uh, you know, Deion Lewis hitting the hole hard, running hard. Gillisley uh, wasn't active this week, but I think you plug him back in there. He can do a lot of the same, find a hole and hit it and get it kind of plays. And uh, Burkhead's kind of just doing everything for the offense, and he's running really hard. So uh, don't worry about the YPC. Uh, I think there's a lot more going on than that stat on a piece of paper. What's changed about the Denver D? They're not as good. I'm going to move on from that one. I think they protected really well, and that changes everything. The continuity in this Patriots offensive line has been super important. I know people gave Nate Solder uh, some hell uh, early in the season for a rough or uneven performance or two. Shane Ray is a pretty good outside linebacker, pass rush kind of guy. You, you occasionally run into Derek Wolf popping out at end. Uh, you know, those are good players, and Solder played really well last week. And you, you look at Adrian Waddle. I mean, how much more can you say about a guy coming in as a swing? tackle going against Von Miller and having Von not breathe on the quarterback all day. It's partially tackled, doing a really nice step-up job. It's part of the running game being a part of it, too. In those weeks where you say, oh, the Patriots, Tom looked so much different in the pocket, you know, two years ago. Uh, the AFC Championship game, what has changed? Well, they have a running game now. That, that game was Steven Jackson right off the street, uh, an offensive line that was a hot mess with injuries and guys flopping sides and uh, just all sorts of problems with that group. You, you, you bring in great run game, uh, or not, at least not great, but good, solid run game, dependable when you have it, play action kinds of plays with two backs in the backfield and more pro-style sets. Then you don't get the you know ears pinned back, ripping to come after you kind of pass rush stuff. So in the absence of that, I mean, I think you've got really good stuff that you can feel feel great about and not worry about protection. You add in pass rush. You add in, I'm sorry, you add in pass protection that's better and healthier. You add in run game play action you add in uh, a different kind of sort of uh, group of backs that can pick up blocks as well and do a real con- really consistent job of that all those factors are there that weren't there two years ago so it can be less about what denver's doing and more about what the patriots are so romo makes one point and the broadcast um, i don't know if this was last week's game or, or further back but that the patriots deliberately throwing plays to screw with tendencies um i wouldn't say they throw plays and i'm not sure that is a direct quote but i'll just go with this as i understood the question to be um the, the they do they sort of tank plays or, or put plays out there that are probably not going to be successful but to help screw up a tendency it's not exactly that, but what I think they do is they definitely certainly, no, they certainly scout, self-scout and know that, hey, we're about to run a formation that we've already shown X seven times in. Let's throw it out there and show something. Let's purposely show Y from that formation so that if we show it again, either in this game or next week, it's going to have screwed up that tendency. You know, it's We were starting to do too much of the same thing from that look in that direction against this particular personnel group. We need to sort of you know, make the make this rising tendency a little less even. Uh, so let's let's run from that formation just once uh, to make sure they're not keying in. And it's not just to you know change a stat on the paper; it's to slow down the charge across from you. You know, if they're starting to think, "Hey, this is becoming run, 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 run," every time they show that, pull it out of the gut one time and show play action so that you know not to give the play away. You still hope you're successful on it, but yeah, a big part of it is is to to keep them from keying on in on you. You know that. That as your play set builds, the tendency within them's bu- them builds. And they are monitoring it. They're tracking it. They're saying, well, it was a 58% tendency for us, and we've already run it three times in this game. That just jetted it up in this particular per- personnel group to 70. That's getting a little too high. We're getting a little bit too easy to read here. 
show that same formation again and, and build something entirely different. There's definitely that stuff that goes on in games. That's not just TV talk by Romo. Uh, I just wouldn't use the phraseology there of they, they throw the play away. Uh, it's not that. It's meant to, to change your to change your read on their tendencies. Is Allen Branch doing better? Simple answer, yes. Love the guy's push. Wasn't a perfect game, uh, but he's the best guy you have on the Patriots defense, even when Malcolm Brown is healthy, in my view, of taking the guard and making him step a yard or two back into the backfield. He's not as good as, as Malcolm Brown or, or even Butler or even some of the other more agile guys of separating and running down the line and making tackles. He does get buried on guys a little bit, but it's because he's a bear. He's a bull. He's just a guy that kind of throws around the guy across from him. So he's less good, I guess, if, if you're trying to get a real hardcore critique of the guy of you know shedding and running down the line. But every guy's not going to be able to do that. You need a guy like him, a guy that's closer to events Wolf work, that holds the point of attack really well, that gets the bull stuff. Uh, and I, I think the moments that he had more rough patches that maybe caused the deactivation was getting too buried into a blocker, You know, getting the push but then never getting off him and at least affecting the running back a little bit, even if it's just a shot on him. So I think the one thing you see him doing a little better now is burying the guy or at least holding the point of attack and getting off and getting involved in tackles. He's a very good player for you. It's important, and I think he'll be big down the stretch. Got to do Raiders now. So, yeah, we just spent an hour uh, going through all of you guys' questions and, and trying to touch on as much as we possibly could with the things that happened in that Broncos game. Uh, because we don't have a Raiders guest, uh, I'll do my best here to sort of highlight what I think you guys should be looking for if you're watching this game that I think will be big factors in it. The things that have worked best for the Raiders. Obviously an extremely uneven season for them. Uh, you know, disappointing where the record sits. Uh, you know, this was supposed to be the big jump for them uh, with Del, Del Rio's group. You know, a car comes back healthy. They make the big jump. They're an AFC contender for the whole damn thing. It, maybe it's one of the Patriots' biggest threats. Uh, hasn't been that way at all. Uh, in part because I think there was a presumption that the offense would stay high high as, as things go in the AFC as far as you know maybe being like a like the Rams are in the NFC a team that's going to be up there near 30 every week cuz you know now they've got Marshawn Lynch and they've got a high spending offensive line that should be able to move people and they've got Crabtree and and Cooper and now they've done Jared Cook I mean I, I you know a tight end so I mean you can you can sort of trace the thoughts to why one would think that would be very good for them the problem from them and then oh, excuse me I should hit on this first but a year ago it was just pretty consistently bad defense, although you've got one of the most singular <laughs> good players in Khalil Mack. Yeah, so they invested a bit in the draft on the defensive side of the ball. They were hoping with another year under Del Rio's defense, things get better over there cumulatively. They had Navarro Bowman midseason. Uh, what the heck is going on? Well, here's the issue as I see it. And just looking back at, at the handful of games of theirs that I watched, part of it was understanding that the inconsistency has been both sides of the ball. It's not just been defense not good enough. They do have those performances out there where it's actually pretty good defense. You know, they they hold the they hold the Chargers to 17 but lose. You know, they they hold the Broncos to 16, the same number the Patriots held them to. Uh, they hold the they hold the Titans to 16. 
So I think there have been moments this season, and then we've seen with the Titans have been sort of a resurgent group this year. There have been moments where the, the Bills' defense has been okay, been good, been solid. Uh, the problem was in those weeks the offense has gone quiet. So the offense has not been a consistently good thing. It's been high some weeks, bad in others. Only putting up 14 points against the Bills, not a good week. You know, only, uh, let's see, only putting up 17 against a Raven defense in the week that you give up 30 to that offense. Not good. You know, so it's... It, you know, only scoring 10 points against that Broncos defense. Again, it's usually a good defense, but you know, only putting up 10 against the Redskins defense. That's 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 not good enough. So there's been too many moments this year where the offense for the Raiders has been a letdown as much as the defensive group. So I'm going to drop a name here, Obi Malinfawu. Did I do that right, Obi Malinfawu? Um, local interest guy. So guy that played at Connecticut was a combine hero. Uh, had some amazing testing. I think it was one of the more impressive. I think it was his, uh, the the Long, long, they don't call it long jump, whatever that is, the, the standing jump thing. Um, broad jump. So he's he was really good at that, had really explosive numbers across the board, ended up going as a second rounder. I think part of the issue was how do you fit this guy? You know, what is he a corner with all those measurables and speed that he has, or is he a strong safety? I think he's listed as a safety now, has been banged up a little bit for the Raiders, hasn't had a huge role. They've now had a bye to play the Patriots. Uh, the Raiders defense overall has no interceptions. I think this is a record-setting situation, as I had heard it anyway. Uh, to get to this week of the NFL season and not have a single turnover through the air, really weird. So uh, why I bring up Obi is there's been a little whispers out of there that after a bye week, trying to find a playmaker, trying to find someone on the back end that can make a play, because no matter how good your pass rushers are, guys like Khalil Mack, uh, some of the other dudes up front there, if you're not making plays on the back end, if there's enough sort of gaps in the coverage, uh, you know, it's there's too many different places to go with the ball and quarterbacks. Even guys like Jay Cutler have found have have, have found opportunities, ample opportunities to tear them up. So they're looking for people on that back end that can make a play without it having to be a blitz scheme thing to get them open. Without you know, just win a one on one and make a play. So maybe it'd be Obi, maybe it'd be one of the other guys. I don't know, but. Um, that's something that's been a huge point of emphasis for them, something they're going to have to get over as they, they head into this week against the Patriots. If they play as we've seen them on tape here the last several weeks play, man, I don't think they have a chance. And uh, that's it's especially in light of the Patriots' defense playing so much better, presumably going to be able to keep the Raiders to a mild number, you know, either a high teens or a low 20s kind of thing, I think is a reasonable expectation. Um, you look down that offense um, – of the Raiders, and I think cumulatively, you look, it's a names place. You know, it's a names, it's a names offense. You see the Crabtree, you see Cooper, you know that Donald Penn is a really good vet at left tackle. You know that Osamele, if I got that right, left guard, one of the best, you know, comes over from Baltimore, free agent, big money deal, one of the better guards in all of football. It's an offensive line that's been spent on. You know, it's, it's offensive line that, that you think should produce more, especially in the, uh, the with the addition of, uh, of what's the name Marshawn Lynch <laughs> it's a beast mode right uh, and and the the film that I've seen on Marshawn Lynch uh, I, the fact that he's old the fact that he was out of the league for a year I don't think it affects much we, and we're not seeing the guy have 150 yards every week which may have been the daydream but Marshawn Lynch is beyond just the cool beast mode stuff of finishing stuff off at the tail end of place he's still got that foot speed quickness in short space he still has that ability to sort of pop out make someone miss early and then go into the beast mode stuff on the other side of the line of scrimmage so I think he's still a very effective back. I don't think he's been a 20-plus carry-a-game guy 
like people thought it might be. But I think that's part of the disappointment, though, here is if you're a Raiders fan or, or a team that cheers for that group, you think behind an offensive line invested that heavily in, you would be able to run the football, especially when you bring a guy like Lynch in. It's been up and down. It's been good at times. It's been bad at times. And that affects your ability to be a straight drop-back team uh, with all those wide receiver elements you want to get the ball out to. So uh, Johnny Holton uh, is a guy that's out there. We'll mention these names just so as you're watching this game, but there ends up being a shot to these guys. You go, who, Johnny who? Johnny Holton, big big shot play down the field against Miami off play action. Uh, vertical guys. Uh, Seth Roberts, number 10, he'll have plays like that for, for on occasion. Something off play action, something that's sort of a deep levels kind of over route. He's, it, it's not unusual for him to make a play or two a game. It's not unusual for, for Holton to make a play or two a game. But obviously, your big target guys are Crabtree than Cooper. Cooper can have a 200-yard game one week and have a 25-yard on, on five-catch week the next. So he's kind of been really uh, frustratingly up and down if you cheer for that team. So I think the, the sort of modus operandi here, if you are the Patriots' defense, is to, to, to prevent the big plays. This isn't much different, in my view, than, than approaching Denver a week ago. Uh, but just now with a better quarterback, a much better quarterback. Uh, Carr's mobility is a factor. You know, keeping him in the pocket, much bigger deal than than Osweiler. Uh, the broken plays, Carr is really good at that. Uh, they do a lot of this ride. Uh, you know, ride is a is an old football phrase. Ride, ride is basically keeping that fake in the in the running back's belly from gun. Uh, which they like to do a lot of gun and, and riding it right around to the last moment and then pulling it and, and doing play action off of it. It's difficult because you're seeing that sort of ride fake every, every snap and you never know if it's run or not. So uh, car in the gun using the sort of ride fake and then pulling it and, and targeting different receivers down the field, making sure that you don't bite on the ride and end up giving something over the top. That's something that'll, that'll be big on the Patriots. Basically, kind of like the Broncos stuff, keep everything in front of you, make them go the long, hard way. They've had a more difficult time doing that this year. Um, Cooper on levels, you know, not getting, uh, getting Amari Cooper going is a big deal. Every defense fears that. They've seen less of it this season. He's not as sharp a route runner. He's not as you know, is, is sort of proficient in the getting in and out of breaks and snagging as say on Emmanuel Sanders a week ago, but his big playability is undeniable. So you, you kind of study him as if his best is what you'll get, even if you don't. So he can win the jump ball. He can win the 50, 50 ball. He can, he can, uh, he can slow in his route and come back to it and leap and get those plays where it looks like you're in dominant position as a corner and you, you lose out at the last moment. So he's a, he's a tough matchup in a one-on-one situation. Who, who, the Patriots decide to go with whether it's Malcolm on Crabtree and, and Gilmore more on on uh, on uh, on Cooper, or it's let them let them come out of the huddle and would take them as they take them left and right. Who knows how they'll go? Uh, but I think they have the assets to cover the people up. Uh, it's just you know maybe the action maybe more of the action goes down at the Seth Roberts of the world or with Johnny Holton. So how Bonamosi plays or how Jonathan Jones plays over some of those guys or how here's a big one how Patrick Chung who had a really nice week a uh, game a week ago with the interception and some of the disruptive plays earlier tackling well all those kinds of things against the Broncos. He's got a big one this week in. Um, in Jared Cook. And Jared Cook is, again, sort of tantalizing and that he'll have these huge weeks. I think one of his big weeks this year was the Dolphins. Don't have it in front of me, but the big weeks and then the disappearance weeks. So you don't want to let him have a big week, especially if you've done a good, good job of top-down covering up these wide receivers and you don't have Lynch you know, off and, and hurting you. 
not letting Jared Cook get going is going to be a big deal, and I think they'll probably like that matchup with Cook, with with Chung on him. You'll get a play or two here from him. Don't don't be surprised if that happens. But latching down on him in the red zone, uh, making sure there aren't the hard sell play action plays where you look up and Cooks is running all alone. Preventing that stuff, big deal. Highlight a player too here that I saw that you know, uh, obviously the Patriots special team guys are going to be studying. Uh, Miami was able to uh, to to pull off a surprise onside kick against Oakland. It's usually the kind of thing an offense that struggles is going to attempt against you because if you fail, you're giving back a short field. So maybe the Patriots don't do something like that. But it is just an interesting note that the Raiders special teams have given some up as well. And when you come off a week where the Patriots have gashed another special teams unit maybe the trickeration uh, comes to the forefront maybe it doesn't we'll see but just be aware if it happens we, we talked about it at least so um, antennas should be up uh, the stuff that the Patriots offense I think should take most advantage of against the Raiders is just their secondary is not bad it's just a lot of good and they don't really have a dominant personnel uh, personality at either the two cornerback positions or even either the two safeties. Nelson back there, uh, a guy who's a super aggressive but does give up some plays at either of the two cornerback spots. I really think you're going to get, if we start getting into seeing the Patriots run four wide receiver sets or three wide receiver sets where you send the back then also, also, also into the pattern or the tight end as well, when you got four or five eligibles out there, this is going to be a week, one of the rarer weeks uh, throughout the seasons where the Patriots really have mismatches and maybe down to down four of the five, three of the four. There's going to be ones where you just wait till the break happens and Tom should be able, Brady should be able to get the ball on the guy in those window moments. This is a week where I think the targets that the Patriots have have a big advantage against the people covering them. Uh, backs in the flat. Uh, should be big in this game. Uh, running backs in the flat, running backs out flexed, uh, just linebacker mismatches, uh, safety versus back mismatches, stuff that's hurt the Raiders. I think that's an area which, you know, just get used to saying it. Uh, the James White's out there, Burkhead out there. Um, they, they, these guys should have big weeks. If you're doing the flip side of this and thinking fantasy, either James White or Rex Burkhead I think is a pretty good gamble this week. I think those guys will – uh, really lean their offense focus towards them until proven otherwise. Tight ends against those same linebackers. Uh, I did this on our Patriots This Week show uh, for Craft Sports Productions. That show was Zoe and I and typically Bob Soshi, but Paul Perlow from the uh, the in-house Patriots stuff was, was on the show with us as well. And I went Gronk this week as the big game. Uh, I, the, the, the Raiders have had some issues against tight ends. I, whenever I see Julius Thomas out there having big weeks or making plays in the red zone, I think, well, that's Gronk, and Gronk's much better. So there's, there's going to be opportunity there, uh, especially I think that opportunity spikes if for some reason Bennett's not, a, Bennett's not able to go. Reintroducing more, more Allen down there and him coming off a week where he's gotten a red zone touchdown having to play it a little more honest uh, I think that 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 really spikes Gronk's involvement this week and really in my view this could be a bevy of opportunities for Brady this could be one of his potentially this could potentially be one of his biggest sort of overall productive weeks of the entire season um, I think on the show on, on the Patriots this week show I went something like Oh, I should know what I scored. Ah, don't guess. But I, I thought this was an over 30 number, and I know I've picked that a lot this season. This is probably one where I feel feel best about it. This should be a big offensive number day. Not not needing a kick return to get to that number. Not needing a pump block with a short field to get to that number. But you know, into the numbers of five, six, 
you know, plus winning drives where there's points drives for the Patriots offense. I, I feel like it could really easily go that way. So we'll wrap the show here today, and hopefully this was instructive. Hopefully we fleshed out enough of the cool stuff that's going on with this team. Um, I like the little little day camp they get here where you get to go on sort of a mini vacation with a team. I think there is legitimate merit to the idea that it it kind of works like a bonding exercise. It kind of works like the corporate <laughs> the corporate vacation thing where stay in a hotel with your with your uh, your other coworkers and you go to the, the the hotel bar in the evening or you know kind of live in a dorm for a week kind of feel. Get out and see the sights a little bit, but it's uh I think those things can invariably help you down the road, especially since they're not then traveling to a place where the Raiders are sitting and waiting for them. The Raiders got to travel a long ways too, and they're not getting to practice at elevation like the Patriots are. So I think this card was played really well by the Pats. It laid up nicely for them where they were already in Colorado anyhow. So something that initially to me kind of stunk the idea of having to play down in Mexico, um, you know, after in the midst of, I think it's five of six on the road, that could have been a tough thing. I think the way they're playing it, it's at least become negligible. Might even from you know the way I think they're maybe getting a in, little in-season benefit to sort of bond together might actually be a plus. We'll see how it plays out. So I see a, a well-controlled week for the Patriots. I see a, a dominant performance by them. I see a team that's kind of peaking at the right time. Um, let's all watch it together and see how things go. This was the Real Thing Patriots Podcast. I'm Matt Chatham, your host. Thanks for checking in. Continue to sell this show to friends and family as far as uh, sharing this thing and, and continuing to spread the good word. We continue to see our subscriber numbers jump. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can go to the Blog Talk Radio site and hit your subscribe button there. You can simply wait till I tweet it on footballbyfootball.com or on, on, on my particular uh personal Twitter handle, uh, I'm sorry, uh, FB by FB, which is uh, the football by football Twitter handle or my at Chatham 58 handle. If you're waiting for me to tweet it, that's one way to get it. Or you can go on the Facebook page. We'll always put it up there as well, but, uh, continue to latch onto this thing, continue to give us your feedback on what you like, what you don't. And let's keep growing the audience. Love doing this show for your guys and, and knowing that we're a very different product out there than the other podcasts and, uh, radio shows that you have to listen to. Hang in there, people. Enjoy this great week. Enjoy uh, changing changing weather out here in New England. You know I love it. All right. Go Patriots. Talk at you another time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.